Hey, SaaS Insiders, I appreciate you tuning in to this episode. I'm your host, Vlad Hu, and today I'm talking to Jonathan Chang. He's the founder and CEO of Market Social, and today we'll be talking on the topics of his lessons, his experience of finding and perfecting his target audience, product market fit, and keeping a great balance between mental and physical health and running a SaaS company. Let's get 15-second clip from the episode so you can get a small taste of what the conversation is like any pre-seed or seed company that tries to say they have product market fit is like you know they're just they're just that's just a good joke i, I mean no one has product market fit until their their later stage i would say even like series b series c but it at least helped us establish like okay what is what do we want in our messaging what do we at least want to try to accomplish right before jumping out uh, and experimenting with like ads. Oh yes, Jonathan Chang has figured out some important lessons that you as a pre-seed or even seed founder can greatly appreciate. I invite you to listen to the full conversation right now. This episode is sponsored by the SaaS Insiders Studio. We help SaaS founders build their minimum viable products, MVPs, launch quickly find a product market fit, and grow from there. SaaS Insider Studio works with non-technical founders that are on the pre-seed or seed stage to help them execute on their product vision. To learn more, go to my LinkedIn profile that you can find in the description to this episode and shoot me a direct message there. All right, let's jump straight into today's episode. SaaS Insiders, welcome to this episode of our show. Today with me, I have Jonathan Chang. He's a special guest with me. He's CEO and co-founder of Market Social. And today, he's been sharing with us his story of his company, his experiences. Some will touch some things about accelerators, raising funds, managing teams, all the topics that SaaS founders are curious about, the pre-seed and the seed stage. With that said, Jonathan, thank you so much to the show. Awesome. Thank you so much, Vlad, for having me today. Yeah, just yeah, I'm excited to kind of ha- have this chat, kind of talk about market social. Started this journey kind of a year and a half ago. Actually, just recently graduated from college years ago, kind of jumped into market, kind of noticing that, hey, just wanted to make and, you know, I just really wanted to start my own company and like kind of started this journey. And, you know, it's been a wild ride since then. I'm excited to kind of talk about that. I'm curious, like for for how long have you been working on Market Social so far? Yeah, so I started Market a year and a half ago. I worked at another startup, which is a robotics company called Real Time Robotics, for a year following graduation. Um, but yeah, it's kind of you know since starting the company, I've been you know I'm sure we'll touch on this topic. Been a part of a couple of accelerators. The first one I was a part of was through Tufts University. My alma mater did that last summer, and then this past summer also participate in the Techstars Boston Accelerator Program. And, you know, kind of have used those kind of jumpstart, push forward the company and really get to where we are today. One thing I'm curious, maybe you could elaborate on that. So you started one and a half years ago, right? Right around 2020, 2021, where COVID hits, right? And for mm-hmm. most people, and that's what I thought as well, it's like events industries like that. That's at least what I heard. Like people are just losing their jobs. They're closing their event business. You on the opposite. It's like, hey, let, let me start a company that's geared towards events. So that's 
a little bit counterintuitive probably for most people. Could you elaborate a bit on that? Like what's what was the strategy? Like, like why you decided to go this route? Yeah, of course. So the original inspiration was, yeah, like, hey, I knew at some point that, you know, this COVID pandemic, people would be able to get back out and go out and do things. And, you know, I felt like there was going to be a surge in live events. And for me, always been like a very outgoing person. I love organizing events, going out and doing things. And hey, kind of started this company with that, you know, all too common idea, like, hey, let's create an event platform to help people find things to do and, you know, like, and who to do things with. That was where we kind of started things off and where I started building. And yeah, like as I built that, as we built that, like, hey, and this is kind of part of our story, but like, you know, from where we started at to where we are now, you know, has really just been about like, hey, like just started building something, you know, just kind of started building something, had people try it out and, um, you know, just kind of get, you know, try to, and then based on what people said about it, we kind of just continue iterating and building based off that. As uh, a lot of our audience, a lot of our listeners are first-time founders, SaaS founders, or maybe second-time, a lot of them are wondering, okay, so I built my MVP, something I show it to users, I get some kind of market validation, some traction, but how do I navigate from that? I probably need some kind of capital, some kind of resources to actually go and scale it and like to make it to make it a meaningful business. Mm-hmm. Like from your experience with market social, like how did you navigate that and how would they make it as well work? If we're speaking, for example, in the US. Yeah, yeah. So early on, I would definitely say, especially you started a couple, we were very lean. We we waited quite a long time before raising capital. Then ended up being like pretty health, like a pretty, I think ended up being a good decision, you know, preserved equity in the company. But yeah, I think the very beginning first stages was just raising a really small round between, you know, through friends and family. That's usually the way that people, you know, like raise their first, you know, small piece of capital. Um, and then, yeah, we, we just kind of built slowly and then like, hey, like kind of waited till we got a little traction first and kind of like started to see some fit before trying to raise another round and we did that kind of through 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 angel investors kind of built our way up uh, built our way up to that stage one thing i'm curious is like when you're trying to raise from friends and family what type of, type of deal is that is that like almost like you're borrowing money or for equity because a lot of people approaching this differently so i'm curious like how would you how would you go about this mm-hmm. yeah the most standard vehicle for that is like you know a safe note you know just like just very popular form of raising capital early are you just setting terms with evaluation cap and discount? Yeah, in a great way. It's just like a very simple, I mean, simple agreement for future equity. Or, or yeah, and like very easy, just a couple pages, basically capital in the door, you know, that's for future equity in the company. Definitely advise that as the route for any founders looking to raise their first round of capital. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And once you do that, once you start building your team as well, because I know we talked with you just briefly off the air about how you approach mm-hmm. like building your team, right? You said that there were some things mm-hmm. that went, went good, some that went not so good. Share with me and with the audience a little bit about your experience of building your SaaS team, like technical team. Mm-hmm. What kind of things to look out for, like do's and don'ts, how to approach this? Yeah, yeah, no, it's actually really probably not a very common story and like uh, for kind of how I built out my team. But as I said, you know, we started that very lean. Actually, when I, you know, a year and a half ago, when we were first starting out, um, didn't really have any capital yet. Um, and basically to get around this, I went and posted on the job boards at Tufts University where I went to school and, you know, 
just ask people, hey, like, hey, I can't pay anyone, but because we have no money, but like anyone's interested in working on this company with me, just kind of start out like, I have this opportunity for you to, you know, have a good experience and ended up bringing on 15 unpaid interns for the summer in order to just like kind of get things off the road. I built the MVP like of the app myself, uh, but you know, like obviously kind of just needed more arms and kind of just ran like it's, we're actually, that that was actually twice the size that the the company is now, but uh, that was kind of a fun way that like to, you know, get arms, like kind of like be able to build out the product, kind of get a lot done while also being low on capital. And, you know, like, obviously, like, I don't think hiring 15 college students for free is on the table for <laughs> every other founder out there. But like, you know, coming up with things like that, I think like kind of like hacks like that are important, especially when starting out a company, you know, because it is just important to be be lean, right? Like, I, I think like a big story of starting like any sort of company, any startup is like, you know, usually the number one reason people start fails is like if you run out of money. That's usually always the number one reason. Say just, you know, kind of what I found as over the past year and a half is just, you know, always kind of be frugal, figure out ways. How can you grow hack? How can you kind of hack together whatever you're doing? And then I would say that's kind of the story of any startup is just kind of how you hack your way to uh, eventually, you know, eventually building, getting to becoming a more and more legitimate business. Now, one thing I want to say that I admire this approach and for other SaaS founders to, to point it out that before you get like meaningful capital, you got to be as resource efficient as possible, right? And just mm-hmm. found a way around it. Now, let's say, let's say I'm a SaaS founder and I also have access to this pool of intern resources, intern talent. And I can also go and hire like 15, 15 of them to work for me. What, from, from that experience that you learned, what were like the good things? And what were the things that I like, you wouldn't recommend? Like why I'm basically you're not doing this right now? Yeah. And then the good things was obviously it was great to just like have a team. I mean, I learned a lot myself, especially as a first time founder and, you know, to like kind of lead that team, kind of like put together, put in processes and like to be able to like, you know, have the arms to be able to iterate quickly. I definitely think probably some of the negatives there and reason we've or like reason to downsize is it is harder to move quicker. Um, I would say like if you grow your team too quick, then you can kind of get into a problem where like, you know, you're, you, there's too many people where it's actually hard to move quicker. The smaller you are, the definitely easier it is to move fast, which I think is really important for a startup. And, uh, but you know, overall it was a very, it was, I think a very good thing overall. And like, you know, it just was a matter of, you know, and I think it's just really important to kind of whatever sorts of advantages you might have, they could be totally random. You know, some people, their advantage is they're super rich or something already, or they're, family is super rich and they have really good connections and can raise a few million dollars like for doing nothing you know i've seen a lot of scenarios i mean typically some a lot of times i find that those companies end up succeeding if they're throwing money too early but you know like no matter what it is every company can find or like every person there it's important to like find like whatever small advantages you might have like resources you can poke no matter how small they are i think are important and i think you know with market, that was kind of something we really took advantage of. Uh, and yeah, and that actually kind of even leads to like our launch and like our initial market. But yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to kind of talk about like kind of what we did there. Yeah, I don't know if that sounds good with you. That's awesome. Well, but I mean, it worked out, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. got the product to where you want it to be and that, now you're kind of growing. So this mm-hmm. thing worked out, right? So it proves the mm-hmm. point. So 
this approach can get you where you want to be in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Use, use whatever resources you want to, to get there. What are the other like resource efficiency hacks you would recommend from, from your experience? What do you think helped mm-hmm. you get to that stage where you don't have enough capital and you still need to make things happen? Are there any other things that you don't see other founders do that, that made you give this like slight edge over them? I would definitely say, yeah, okay. So for reference a little bit where we are now, we, you know, we raised a $600,000 pre-seed a few months ago. And since we've raised that, we've been able to make some new hires and, you know, we've start, been able to start putting money into an ad strategy and everything. But before all that, and I think this is where it would have been a miss, you know, like for, you know, we like kind of found our market, established our value prop. We had just for some reason started throwing money into that as early. I think that would have been a mistake. I think it's just so important. Like very much before we started this ad strategy, it was very much like a direct sales process. And then that gave us kind of the opportunity to talk to our customers, talk to users. And uh, interestingly for us, this was kind of another thing, like kind of one of the big advantages for market was kind of me and then also my co-founder being Bronner, who's just, you know, we're still very like entrenched in the Tufts University ecosystem. That was something we really, you know, tried to make like, you know, take advantage of. But basically, and also actually just for a little context, I know we haven't actually dove too much into what market does. So like, actually this kind of leads perfectly into like what we're trying to do. But and as we said, yeah, we're building an event platform. Basically it's a ticketing platform where, hey, it's like, Okay, you can organize your event, sell tickets to your event, but more importantly, it's a completely text message-based platform where event organizers can text any of their attendees for their events. Their attendees can text them back. And, you know, it's we found it's just a far more, we realized that text messaging is a far more efficient channel for people that organize events to communicate with their attendees and also communicate with past attendees. Because one of the big problems when people host regular events is, Hey, how do I get? How do I engage the past people to have gone to my events? How do I kind of build up this community of people interested in our events? And uh, basically, yeah, it took us a while. I mean, text messaging was something we didn't introduce into the platform until like five or six months ago. And basically, the original platform was, and this is actually still, if you go and download the app from the App Store, market with an I. Uh, basically, you'll download it and you'll see that you open it up and you'll see like a Tinder style feed where you can swipe right or left on events in your area. That was the original app before any of this, like, hey, like, how do we build out a ticketing platform? How do we build out like this texting platform for, you know, that that's kind of what we're selling now. Like that's the SaaS business. But originally it was, yeah. So basically what we did was built a very simple event platform that people could make events on people could go on and swipe right or left on the ones they're interested in. Basically to like kind of incubate this and like kind of launch the MVP, kind of like see how this interaction would work. We leveraged a lot of the people like, you know, we were very close knit with the, especially Bronner was very close knit with, you know, people that organize things that have social events, fraternities, Greek life, like other social organizations, whatever those are. Um, And then we would get them to post events on the platform. And, you know, eventually because like, we were able to get like all of the best things going on on campus onto the onto the app. People would go onto the app and look for things every single week, right? We got like over seventy percent of the student student body to be regularly using it weekly, and that kind of gave us like the environment where this is something like you know leverage the fact that you know we knew all these people at Tufts, and we kind of like were able to had an influence on this like small 
you know, be able to like test things out on this community that, you know, we knew a lot of people in. And yeah, that, it was a great way just like, hey, like at the very beginning, it was a very simple event platform, not much functionality. You know, they had its problems, but we got it in people's hands and people got to tell us what they liked and disliked. And that kind of was like, okay, we just continued to work with people that put on events and kind of just discovered along the way, just sort of kind of working with hundreds of different people to put on events. And you know, at this point, we put on like thousands of events. There's like 15,000 unique people that have attended events on the platform. It kind of just helped craft the product into what it is today. But yeah, that's mm. kind of the long roundabout way of, yeah, kind of leverage what we, you know, what things in our network we did have that like the advantage we did have and you know kind of use that to help craft a company and like every company is going to have their own and every founder is going to have their own different things that they can you know like probably, probably look to for you know seek out that some sort of advantage correct me if i'm wrong but i think you've briefly mentioned that your target audience now is actually not those students it's someone else mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. yeah well we quickly realized you had having some success in the college scene we kind of moved around like a few other schools in boston and some others across the country. But the problem we realized with college, well, two problems was that, first of all, there was not much money in this space because college students don't have much money. Frat parties do not have much revenue in them. And then number two was that also college students were very frustrating to work with. Basically, we were trying to build a business, right? And like get people, you know, these college students that are organized events that like are also students to like use our platform. It just found, it was very frustrating. Um, I mean, that's where we eventually like made more of a transition to working with actually businesses, people that organize events. Now we're in the space of working with like comedy clubs, like working with like, concerts, artists, um, lots of different, you know, like bars and clubs, kind of all the, the, that different type of scene. One of the most excited about is actually the, we've actually kind of made our way into the New York, like high school prep basketball scene. We have a couple of groups there, a couple of teams, prep teams there that are using market to um, ticket their events. But yeah, we definitely made a really big shift. That was something that like, that was a big shift we made over this past summer, actually. We kind of just like, as we, yeah, this was like, as we were in Techstars, just kind of realizing, okay, this is like, okay, let's establish, okay, where are we going to have the most opportunity? Where are like, figuring out exactly what like our ideal customer was after we had moved on from, you know, the college space was good to start but moved on from that as we kind of flashed on our ideal customer. No, you're not, you're not the first one that tells that college students were their primary, like first audience <laughs> to on, because those are really easy to get into, right? They're, they're much mm -hmm. more, they're much easier to get them to try some stuff, right? The problem is you cannot monetize it that well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they, it can create a viral effect because they like to share it because they're more social, but when it comes like, how do we make money from it? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> expecting to pay anything for this service right yeah, and when you move up into businesses it's like it's a bit harder to acquire them but of mm -hmm. course that's, that's the audience they can pay they can pay the company to grow yeah that's i think a great thing about SaaS and working with businesses is like yeah it's much more stable like once you kind of figure out that formula you know I and mean, we're still like figuring it out but like we're starting to see oh much more predictably and put money into ads get a certain number, you know, like our leads cost a certain amount, then certain percentage of those are converting into paying customers for our subscriptions and um, hosting events on our platform. Main two ways we make money are our subscriptions and then also ticketing fees, similar to other ticketing platforms. But yeah, just it's a great thing. Hey, like as we had customers, you know, the great thing about SaaS is, you know, like once you have some sort of formula, it's a very like, it's not too complicated a formula, right? It's like, 
what is your cost of acquisition? What is your lifetime value? How often are they churning? And like, once you have like a good idea of what those numbers look like, especially, and then basically it's just like, hey, can you spend more money and have that directly translate into into like into new revenue, right? And like, as long as it doesn't churn, like it'll just compound on itself. Now, one thing I want to to pay a bit more emphasis on, and for SaaS insiders to to hear this as well. You said like once we stabilize CAC, customer acquisition cost and lifetime value, then we can scale it with ads. A lot of times I see founders experimenting with ads before they get to a stable formula. Like they're just playing Mm -hmm. around with this and they're trying massively to invest into ads, hoping that they can acquire audience and then figure out what to do next. Mm -hmm. Could Could you give a bit of more of your thought on why that is not a good idea? Or maybe it's yeah. Yeah, you know, like like if if before you found that stable, scale scalable formula, like should we put money into ads like on the scale? Yeah, yeah, I th- that that's a great question. I would I would definitely say like ads ads are obviously you know like running ads and some sort of ad strategy can be really powerful, but if it's like done too early, it not only can like burn money, but could also be potentially even harmful in the long run for your business. If like you're running at and you kind of like, you know, you're going to be hitting a certain type of people, like first impressions, you know, you know, you just you, obviously, you know, it can be detrimental if you like try to go to market too early. I, I would definitely say we ran and, you know, not every company is going to take this route. We definitely ran more of a direct sales approach before. And by just, you know, what we kind of did like before running ads is just like we went around, we, we were located in Boston and we just went around to businesses. We went to events. We just like talked to the people that ran them. And like, you know, rather than like thinly spread out experiment where you just like are getting a lot of impressions through an ad, we found it much more meaningful if like, hey, no, like let's make it more narrow. Let's just talk to, it's actually just like talk to, get to know like all these different people that put on events. Um, you know, like we basically, and we're still doing this, even though we're running the ads, we maintain like a very a tight-knit cohort of, you know, customers and potential customers that are event creators that are like ideal customers that we kind of learned from. And we didn't do that. I don't think we would have like landed on what the product is now, basically just kind of like being able to take feedback, direct feedback, and like kind of put that into the product until like, you know, it was something that like we felt very confident that if we started putting money into the ads that like people would resonate, you know, we kind of like figured out a value prop that resonated with people. That value prop was, hey, like, it is really difficult to promote events, the things you do to promote them, posting on like social media, having email lists, uh, putting up flyers, word of mouth, all these things you do are, you know, are, you know, are not doing a really good job of reaching an audience. And like, that audience you reach is really hard to retain. And you know, this like messaging was something like we crafted over time as like, we learned like what worked when we like actually talked to people, what did people respond to positively? And, you know, by like actually talking to them and also like going and talking to the potential customers in person will help us craft that value prop. And yeah, that's like, I, I would say is something to keep in mind. Like, is like not to say that we have like product market fit now and any like any pre-seed or seed company that tries to say they have product market fit is like, you know, they're just, they're just, that's just like a good joke. I, I mean, no one has product market fit until their their later stage. I would say even like Series B, Series C, but it at least helped us establish like okay, what is what do we want in our messaging? What do we at least want to try to accomplish right before jumping out uh, and experimenting with like ads? Even though you know, and like you know, you want to wait till like 
you know, you, you have like an idea, like, you know, you're able to make accurate prediction on how people are going to respond to certain messaging. There is very important lesson here that I'm hearing and I want others to hear as well. And that is before you, before you have this formula for scalability, before your CAC is stable, your lifetime value is stable, you do things that don't scale, which is more like one-to-one to figure out mm-hmm. how to make that stable. Just like, as you said, like figuring out what are the exact pains, the messaging that we want to convey in ads, mm-hmm. how do we calibrate it? So it actually becomes stable. And I want you, I want to, you, you to elaborate a little bit more on that, right? Like, because a lot of times people see those things and like, oh, but we cannot scale with that, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you cannot do one-to-one for, for two years, right? You need to scale at some point, mm-hmm. but just like you described like this, you can actually transition from that once, once you craft this, this, this messaging. Oh, you, you hit it on a very cool topic, which is that, yeah, the idea of doing things that don't scale. There's actually a really cool talk on YouTube by YC kind of talking about this topic. But yeah, the idea that like, okay, eventually you're going to want to implement strategies that can scale well so that when money is put into your business from investors, you're going to be able to grow quickly. But I cannot emphasize enough doing things like I think it's so important to do things that are not going to work in the long term, but are, are, you know, like our short term hack, you know, this is kind of goes along with the idea of like growth hacking and doing things just to get things off the ground. The hardest problem is that like that cold start, how do you get things that engine running? And then like, it's a whole different set of problems with like how you actually accelerate that in scale. For us, that was a big, like kind of the big thing like we did was like, we actually even like to kind of just really understand the problems. Okay, yeah, we would go out and talk to people that put on events. You know, we would actually like directly go to the establishments, talk to potential customers. Obviously, we're not going not gonna to do that when you're all over the country and the world. And like, you know, you're going to be overtaking Eventbrite and ticket mask. You know, it's long-term dream. You're not going to be doing that every time. But it was super great for us to learn because you know kind of in this process like we've became experts you know we were event organized like you know like loved organizing events before but like really working with all these potential customers have helped us become like experts in event promotion we even went as far as like hosting our own events what this was actually one of our one of our greatest like failures <laughs> early on but you know something we did learn a lot from was we actually like rented out a couple really big clubs in boston early on and like put on our own events just to like and we use our own platform to host those events and like promote on it and you know we ended up like use we ended up losing a lot of money doing it and like definitely could have like this is where i would say like experiment try to make your experiment smaller and don't spend fifteen thousand dollars to rent out one of the like a massive club in boston but um it would say like okay while i wish we did a smaller experiment i am very glad we did it because yeah, I mean, it was just super important for us to understand, like, make the same mistakes that people that organize events make and um, kind of really understand the struggle. So like, okay, if we were to do more of these, what would we want in a platform ourselves? So like kind of the mix of actually bringing it, like talking to the, you know, talking to potential customers and also like using it ourselves, try, like trying to regret, like, figure out what like what actual like, key problems are there to solve was important and like doing things like that i mean i can think of like there's millions of examples of like i mean one of the first ways we launched at tusk was that my co-founder Bronner would he would host like parties at his house use market for it and that was kind of how we like started market at tusk and like and, you know eventually there was more adoption throughout campus and everything but like it was just like a matter of like i don't know we just we've done so much random stuff over the past year now and that's like part of the journey most of the stuff will not 
pan out, but like as long as you're learning something from it, I think is the important thing. But it's cool because you're actually using your own platform for the event, right? So you're, mm -hmm. you're seeing it like firsthand how would people feel when they're organizing those events. Mm -hmm. People are buying experience. How do you how do you host it? What happens after that? So it's mm -hmm. I'm curious, like why this experiment with Big Club didn't work? Is it like the tickets didn't sell out? Yeah, well, we realized and we kind of already knew this, but like we realized that the hardest part about putting on an event is not like the logistic or not like a lot of the logistics or like like how do you make your event page pretty or how do you like add all this fancy like ticketing technology? It's like the things that people struggle with is like promoting events and selling tickets to their events. That is the only thing that people put on events care about. And we realized that same thing for us, like, right? Okay, like, sure, the logistics are all solvable, but like, it's not the by far the hardest thing. It's how do you get people to come? You could have the best event ever, but if it's not promoted well, no one's going to come, right? Like, and like the same thing, like you actually have a very well-promoted event that is actually like probably not like a good quality event, but people will show up because it was promoted well and it becomes a good event because of the people, right? Like I think at an event, generally the people are what matter. I think it's a, it's a universal, universal principle. It, it also applies to SaaS. You can have beautiful, the most advanced product in the world. If no one knows about it, like what difference does it make? Right? Compared mm -hmm. to if you really take care of the marketing and promoting this, even it's like an average, but you still get a lot of attention. You just learn from it and you convert it into actually being a great product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree so much. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, it's product is very important when starting a company, but also like just as important is like, is the go to market? Like sometimes the best product doesn't always win out. It's like the first one that reaches the market first. That, and sometimes like who, have, who has the best way of reaching that potential audience, right? Like I think you'll see countless, you can see countless examples of that in tech where like first person to come up with the idea, it was just, it was just the first one to market, right? Obviously you need a good product to, when you hit market, but like so important, like what that strategy is to bring it to market. No, I, I agree. Long-term, if you don't have a right solution for the market, it won't work. People will just churn, right? There won't be any retention, mm -hmm. but, but before you get that, if, if you're not reaching those customers in the first place, like who are you solving the problem for? Right. So mm -hmm. from your experience from working in market social, what are those maybe go to market strategies, like approaches that you wish you, you knew maybe like one year ago, two years ago, when you were just starting out with the company? I think, I mean, there's so many things. I think one of the biggest ones is going to market, just like having like stay trying to be focused in your strategy. I think some of the mistakes we made early on was just kind of being a little too broad trying to appeal to too many people because you know you you want like everyone obviously like you want like everyone to use your product right i think we realized we had a lot more success when we would focus in on certain types of a target i like really figuring out what that beachhead market is right like i, I would say if you don't have a beachhead market then you're probably not gonna be very successful because it's very hard to just get everyone to start using your product at once right like all the successful companies, and we're still figuring this out, right? As I said, like we work with like comedy clubs, art, like artists, and like you know concerts and basketball teams. You know, still kind of figuring out we're in the like kind of the entertainment space. But if you look at like all the successful like like companies that companies that emerge, like they usually have like a niche, like they start with. I mean, um, even look at one of our competitors, Eventbrite. Obviously, like they're an old company now, but like back in the day when they're first going to market, like their first customers were 
like they really broke through in like the tech blogging community and like the events they would hold. Or I love the story of whatnot, which is like a you know a market uh, people that aren't familiar. It's like the marketplace for like live auction marketplace for selling collectibles. Like they started by like just being a marketplace for like Funko Pop, like Funko Pop collectibles. And you just like see countless examples of this where like people find like a niche to start out with, like something that's manageable, right? To like tackle in market rather than like try to tackle the entire space, you know, like this total addressable market. And then like that all narrows all the way down to like some niche you start with, right? I think it's so important to like your strategy should revolve around being focused. I, I think that is one of the biggest lessons we learned is like being focused in your marketing and your go to market is way more is probably the most important thing, even beyond like how good the like how good your ads look or like even like some of the execution strategy. Justin Sargers, let's let's take notes here. We need to stay we need to stay focused, maybe on a particular niche and particular target audience so we can serve them well and grow from that. Do I get this correctly? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that's kind of broad advice, but also I, I cannot, I don't know. And for us, that's like something we try to keep in mind every day as well is like, we have so much, so much more, there's so much more success. And like, yeah, I mean, it's also, you just look at other companies that are built, like always people are very focused to start. And like, as soon as it starts getting like too broad, I think it's like, you know, like you just have to be careful, careful about that. Now it's, it's, it's still really important. Like a lot of, a lot of conversations we have here on Sass Insiders podcast and just another shows as well, they sound like common sense, right? Well, you start small, mm-hmm. you focus, but we need to be constantly reminded about that because it's it's always like there are so many opportunities and the more, the further mm-hmm. we go, the more opportunities we have, right? And it's really tempting. Mm-hmm. Let's try them all. We want to win all the customers in the world. It's right? so tempting. <laughs> and especially yeah. when you're getting in, I mean, especially at a startup when you're like, not only, you know, there's, there's like, I don't know if you're familiar with like working on and working in the business, but the idea that like a lot of the time it's really easy and we, we do this still, it's like really easy to just get sucked into the working to in the business, right? And like trying to just continue the day-to-day, pursue new opportunities when they come up and like, you know, when you're still early and like, you know, like still growing where every customer, you know, is meaningful, like it's easy to just like kind of chase down rabbit holes and like, just like being able to find that time to like, oh no, like, okay, times to step back and like think about oh overall are we happy with how we're approaching this strategy are we you know that's the whole working on the business i think like okay are we stretching ourselves a little too thin in different spaces do we need to recalibrate i think it's really important to, like take that pause even if it's like 10 percent of your i think it's important to at least put like 10 percent of your time into that because it is really easy to just kind of be really heads down all the time no yeah yeah i resonate with what you're saying probably a lot of founders about it as well because it feels like they're like fires all around you. You need to fix them. So mm. you go into mm-hmm. operations and you're reactive, right? A fire mm-hmm. comes up, you try to extinguish it as soon as possible, right? Mm-hmm. The thing that is really hard to realize in that moment is the reason of why fires come up in the first place, right? It's because something is not working. Maybe the, the business model is off, the customer acquisition model is off, right? And it's, it's really hard to say like, it's okay for some fires to blaze, while mm-hmm. I'm working on, on you know, on, on changing the ship, right? I'm, I'm trying to mm-hmm. change the course because that's what's causing the fire in the first place. And it's, and it's kind of hard to try to balance and try to still like improve from the top, let's say working on the business, right? Because it's really like, I want I want it to be perfect, right? I don't want yeah. to any fire. That does it mm-hmm. resonate? But there will be, yeah. And then you're hitting on a, like a really, I love, I don't know if people are familiar with like lean startup, the ideas of lean startup, but the idea of like persevering or pivoting, right? Like, okay, 
you're not going to have, there's never going to be a zero fire path, but you do need to sometimes like be able to step back and figure out, okay, is this literally not navigatable? Do we need to pivot or are these fires manageable? And do we just need to kind of, you know, persevere through it, right? And like so many of those decisions are going to come up and like, obviously I don't think we've made, and like, I don't think most founders always make the right decision, but like there's a lot of opportunities to persevere and pivot. And like, you just hope to at least get like some of them right. And like some of the big decisions, but like, yeah, they're hard stuff to like, hard decisions to make in the moment. And like, it is hard to step back to, you know, kind of figure that out when there's just like always so much going on. Yep. It's, it's not about making all the right decisions. It's just avoiding some of the bad ones, right? Let's just avoid mm-hmm. as much as we can, the bad ones. And that should be good. We're already far ahead from the competition. Yeah. And I think, and like, also I would say like one of my biggest thing, like that's helped me is like, it's so important to like, especially as a first time founder learn from the mistakes of others even if your business seems way different than some other company that's been through it there's similarities even though like everyone has different strategies there but there are similarities in how companies you know like the mistakes that companies make and strategies will take and there's so many opportunities there's so much great content like hey it's like listening to podcasts like these like talking to other like listening to other founders stories there's so many great sources to kind of learn how other people built their businesses and like, you know, things you can learn from their mistakes to hopefully, hopefully minimize your, own, but also like, obviously mistakes are not bad. That's part of the process. Like if you're not making mistakes. I don't think I can't think of a single business that doesn't make lots of mistakes early. And I, I don't really get why people find it hard to learn from other people's mistakes because it's a double-edged sword from one perspective. It's true that their business is different. It means they cannot just copy paste everything that Jonathan says, that Vlad says, and it just works for them, right? They still need to apply what makes sense for their audience. But at the same time, there are some fundamental things about how you build your team, how you market, how you acquire customers, how you fundraise, like the fundamentals that work for everyone. And this is where it kind of, you're trying to balance between applying this advice and learning from mistakes and trying not to just copy paste what other people's doing because that's 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 a recipe for disaster as well. Mm-hmm. But if I were to ask Jonathan, if SaaS Insider could walk away with just one important lesson from, from our session today, just one message, if that's the only thing they got from the session, what kind of piece of advice that'd be? I would say kind of the common story, talked a little bit about go-to-market, kind of talked about like, what to do early on, do things that don't scale, utilize the advantages you have. I think one thing in common between all of those is like the idea of build fast and iterate fast and like just get out there and do things, right? Like I think the common thing, I would definitely say just like, especially at the very earliest stages, you're not going to get it perfect. Just like the most important thing is like get something out there, try something out, talk to users, you know, just kind of improve on it. And like being able to make like those incremental, like iterate quickly, I think is so valuable because yeah, you're going to make mistakes. You're not going to get it perfect the first time. Just make sure you get as many stabs that you can before you run out of money, right? (laughs) (laughs) Until you can raise your next round, I would say. That's cool. That's cool. Where do you find the inspiration and knowledge for you to grow? Like if we were speaking about some books, inspirational speakers, masterminds, accelerators, mentors, if you were to highlight like three things that would be the biggest impact to what you are now and what your company right now, what would what those resources would be? Oh, totally the biggest impacts on like kind of the direction of taking the company and like how I've grown as a founder through the two accelerators I did. They were both great in different ways. The one I did through Tufts and also through Techstars Boston. 
this is just where like, Hey, like, so I had so much to learn. And like, this is why, like, I'm a huge advocate for accelerators for first time founders. It just gives you the opportunity, not only just like build your network, but also just like, yeah, learn from lots of other people, other people that are going through at the same time and be put in environments where, you know, you're around people that have done it before have been so valuable to me. Can't speak more highly of the two accelerators we did. And then a lot of great mentors through that process. And yeah, also, there's just so much great, I would say a mix of that and also just like so much great content and video content that's available online. So many things you can listen to, like podcasts like these are just like so helpful. I would say I have kind of crafted my crafted my journey so far, right? And there's still so much more to be done. Are there any like specific cool books that really help you help you through your journey? If you will name one. Probably my two favorite, but I like go-to is Lean Startup. I would say it's just like really good for you know, a lot of like learned a lot of lessons for that, that like I apply to our business today, like how to like operate and iterate fast. That's the whole idea is like stay lean, iterate fast. Like that probably comes across in what I was talking about earlier. And then also a huge fan of, is a recent book, you know, it was called The Cold Start Problem by Andrew Chen. It's the idea of like, how do you build network effects? And like, that's kind of where we're like, kind of a lot of our thinking is shaped to where like, you know, at first we were kind of like just, trying to build a network marketplace product and really only introduce the SaaS aspect where we, when we like try to introduce like, Hey, like, no, let's build a tool first that people want to use in order to build this network. That is a really big theme in the, the book and lots of great, and the great thing about both those books is like both authors use countless examples from other companies and like how, how, what other companies did apply to an overall concept. And that is totally in line. I mean, that's kind of the reason why I love both of them is that like, that idea of they're using these examples of the companies. Mm-hmm. Not only is it just fun, like not only is there a lot to learn from it, but they're also just fun reads. Um, so those are probably my go-to or my two go-tos for for any readers out there that are looking for a couple books. Yes, I didn't show you with with the previous guest as well, and I think it's it's really something special about those books where the author not only talks about their experience, like how I built it, this is how I did it, but also like here's fifteen other people that did it. And some of them mm-hmm. failed, some of them didn't, and what—that's what the difference is. That's cool, um, Jonathan. Before we before we will be wrapping up our our talk today, what do you think would be the best way for SaaS founders, for VCs to get in touch if if they're interested in what you're doing, trying to help you, maybe ask for some advice? What kind of the the social media, the links, what we can put for them to to check it out? Yeah, of course. I love talking to other founders, especially. Uh, very open for anyone to. Anyone to reach out here, I mean, the best way is just through LinkedIn, through our website, which is marketsocial.net. I'm sure that these can be linked in. These can be linked in the in the pod in the descriptions for the podcast. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're on basically all we're on most of the socials. You got to look for market social though as a topic. I'm still working on some of the the trademarking for market, but uh, yeah, I mean, would love to talk to. It. Always open to talk to other. I'm sure there's just so much stuff I'm still looking to learn, learn from others, but I'm, I'm glad you included that. I'll, I'll put those links great. in the description. So it's easy for people to check it out and connect mm-hmm. with you. Uh, to, to conclude our conversation, what do you think should be the final thoughts for all of our audience to, to remember from our topic, from our conversation today? Yeah, I think final thoughts is, I don't know, there's like, yeah, okay, learn from others' mistakes and what they've done well and all that stuff, but also like, yeah, also just got to emphasize, like also every, every company is its own journey. It's just kind of a matter of like, no, it's not one size fits all for it all, but it's 
like, hey, how can you synthesize what you've learned so far in your business what you, and also what like other people have done in their businesses in order to like come up with what's best for you, right? And like, no one's ever going to have that perfect path. Uh, but I think it's just important to like, hey, like, it's all just about making educated decisions or like try to make the most educated decisions you can and like hope for the best. Like, and that's kind of the fun thing about startups, right? Is that it's like, there's a lot of unknowns. You kind of are taking risks. You don't know what's going to work. It's not like very structured and, you know, like, and that, that's kind of what's needed, right? You have to be a certain type of crazy to start a company. But um, it's a lot of, I think the important thing is just have fun when you're doing it, right? And yeah, I mean, there's a huge community of entrepreneurs out there that all like go through similar struggles and everyone is very helpful to each other. I think it can feel lonely when like, especially early on, but like the community is so tight knit. I would say entrepreneurs that like, hey, if you network and put yourself out there, it's really easy to like, you know, to like, for it to not feel as lonely. <laughs> Jonathan Chen, everyone. Jonathan, I thank you so much for joining me today on SaaS Insiders podcast and sharing those experiences with the audience. Yeah, thank you so much as well, Vlad. It was a pleasure. SaaS Insiders, we'll see you in the next episodes.